This is KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. and it's time for the KVMR News. Good evening, I'm Claudio Mendoza. After an update on the Huntington Beach oil spill and news from the 9th U.S. Circuit of Appeals, the California report asks why some homes in Paradise survived the 2018 campfire while most did not. After regional headlines and weather, Felton Pruitt talks with Beth Moore about Nevada County Safe, a partnership of Nevada County businesses. We close with a personal report about religious exemptions from the vaccine mandate by regular commentator Chaplain Norris Burks. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. As the investigation continues into why the massive oil leak off the coast of Orange County happened, lawmakers are calling for more action from the federal government to end drilling off the California coast. Congressman Alan Lowenthal represents Long Beach and parts of Orange County. He also chairs the House Natural Resources Subcommittee on Energy and Mineral Resources and says a full federal investigation needs to take place to get to the bottom of what happened. We now see one of the results of when drilling occurs. When there's drilling, there will be spilling. And I think we're going to be holding hearings, but I think the next step is we have to come up with a plan to not only stop new drilling, but to figure out how do we stop all drilling that's going on in California. And Governor Gavin Newsom visited Orange County yesterday and says the oil spill is the latest example of an industry-wide problem. What you're seeing happening in this industry is a lot of the mature and larger companies are selling out to smaller companies that don't have the capacity to do the job, that don't have the capacity to make sure that these rigs are safe. You've got federal rigs out there, and yes, we recognize our responsibility, state operations that are out there. The Coast Guard says a section of the pipeline that ruptured moved more than 100 feet along the ocean floor. It's still unclear what caused the break, as authorities have not been able to confirm reports that it may have been caused by a ship's anchor. An initial report from federal investigators has confirmed the pipeline operator, Amplify Energy, waited more than three hours to shut the pipeline down after being warned by low-pressure alarms that it was likely leaking. In other news, in a split decision, a three-judge panel on the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has ruled that California's ban on private prisons and detention centers is unconstitutional. KQED's Katie Orr reports. A private prison firm and the Trump administration had sued to stop the 2019 ban from taking effect. They say Assembly Bill 32 was an effort to stop the federal government from detaining undocumented immigrants in facilities within California. Loyola Law School professor Jessica Levinson says the panel took very different views of the law. The two judges in the majority say this is about targeting the federal government's immigration power. And then the judge in the minority says, actually, AB 32 covers all types of detentions. It's not just people who are in this country illegally. Levinson says the next step would likely be a hearing in front of the entire Ninth Circuit Court. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento.
Crews continue to battle challenging conditions as they look to get better containment on the KNP complex fire that's burning in Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks. The fire so far has burned more than 81,000 acres and is still only 11% contained. Firefighters have faced extreme fire conditions this week with wind gusts of more than 50 miles per hour in the fire zone. Several more communities, including Heartland, Quail Flat, and Grant Grove, are threatened by the blaze. As crews work to protect homes in those areas. The good news, forecasters expect cooler conditions and possibly even some rain in the coming days, which will likely help in the firefight. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com. SF MoMA, presenting the world premiere of Joan Mitchell, a stunning retrospective of over 80 works by the trailblazing painter who made art on her own terms. Learn more at sfmoma.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Why did some homes in the Northern California town of Paradise survive the 2018 campfire, while so many others didn't? KQED science reporter Danielle Venton tells us simple actions, such as creating defensible space around the homes, might have been a big factor. California updated its building code in 2008 to require homes to be more fire safe. Researchers from the University of California and the U.S. Forest Service wanted to know if those changes made a difference in which homes survived in paradise. It seemed like it might be an opportunity to assess whether there are any key messages, any lessons to be learned. Yana Yalakovic is a forest advisor with the University of California and a co-author of the study. Researchers found that newer homes did have better fire survivability, but the updates of 2008 wasn't the key turning point. Even homes built a decade prior to the code update fared overall about as well. The researchers attribute this to newer roofs and materials, less overhead tree cover, and crucially, more cleared space between the buildings. We're only as strong as our weakest neighbor, and we're really all in this together. So when we tend to see loss, it's usually when a neighboring building is lost to wildfire, and then you get significant radiant heat. Which means burning homes spread destructive fire more than burning trees do. The researchers are hopeful the work will help inform how to best build and live in areas at risk from wildfires. For the California Report, I'm Danielle Venton. The annual shareholders meeting for Tesla is tomorrow, and it comes days after a jury ordered the carmaker to pay $137 million to a black worker who accused the company of ignoring racist abuse. KQED's Holly J. McDeed reports. The former employee who worked at Tesla's Fremont plant from 2015 to 2016 said he was called racist names and that employees drew swastikas and left racist graffiti around the plant. You know, it's awfully tempting to say, look, it's not rocket science. It's really caring about your employees and enforcing laws to protect them. Amy Oppenheimer was an expert witness for the plaintiff in this case. I think it might be the largest verdict for a single plaintiff in a racial harassment case ever. 
In a blog post, Tesla's vice president of human resources wrote that the facts of the case did not justify the verdict. She also noted that when the worker complained, Tesla stepped in, two contractors were fired, and another was suspended. But law professor Tristan Green at the University of San Francisco says the ruling sends a message to Tesla and other companies that following up on individual complaints is not enough. Often we're tempted to narrow our stories about harassment, including racial harassment, to individuals to the personal. And here the judge and the jury saw that there was something more at stake, the overall environment of work at Tesla. Tesla faces a similar class action case pending in state court in Oakland. For The California Report, I'm Holly J. McDeed. And that is The California Report for this Wednesday, October 6th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. Locally, Nevada County reported 22 new lab-confirmed COVID-19 cases today. 686 cases are active, 11 are listed as hospitalized. In gastronomic news, sadly, the curse of the Five Mile House strikes again. The Union of Grass Valley reported today that the Wheelhouse, a restaurant on Highway 20 at the former site of the old Five Mile House, closed last week. In an announcement on its website, the restaurant stated that the decision to close was motivated by, quote, increasingly difficult circumstances. The announcement says closure had been planned for this coming Sunday, but that the immediate closure last week had become the only reasonable option. The announcement goes on to say, quote, we really appreciate your support over the last year, and we wish you all the very best. Be excellent to each other, end quote. Now turning to regional weather. The National Weather Service predicts that a weather pattern change will bring cooler temperatures and potentially showers over Northern California through the start of the weekend. In Nevada City and Grass Valley, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 50. Tomorrow there'll be a 20% chance of showers after 11 a.m., otherwise mostly cloudy with a high near 66. The AQI tomorrow will be good at 18. In Truckee and the Lake Tahoe region, cooler temperatures arrive tomorrow and continue throughout the weekend. Overnight lows this weekend will be near or below freezing, with Saturday night into Sunday morning looking to be the coldest evening. Tonight, Truckee and the Lake Tahoe region will be mostly cloudy, with a low around 36. Tomorrow, there's a 50% chance of showers, mainly after 8 a.m. The high tomorrow will be 56, and tomorrow's AQI will be good at 19. In the valley, much of the same. Cooler temperatures and a chance of showers through the weekend, although dry and breezy north winds are forecast for early next week, bringing with them elevated fire weather conditions. Tonight, in Sacramento, mostly cloudy with a low around 54. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy again with a high near 71. AQI, 20. Good. Next, Felton Pruitt talks to Beth Moore, owner of the Wild Eye Pub, about Nevada County Safe, a partnership of Nevada County businesses taking steps to help protect customers and their staff during these challenging times. We're talking with Beth Moore from Nevada County Safe. She's also the owner of the Wild Eye Pub in Grass Valley. Let's talk about Nevada County Safe. It's a group of businesses in Nevada County that are promoting being open safely. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? 
Well, thanks for talking with us about this. We started sort of loosely forming last year. Uh, we got a Facebook page going, Nevada County Safe, in response to members of the community asking where they could go and find businesses and agencies and organizations that were following the public safety protocols. It started there. And then, of course, things changed as places opened up in the spring and California opened up in June and so forth. And then we have seen a, a resurgence of things since the, the surge. And so we decided that we would move in this direction, especially since August. Uh, that was when some local organizations were trying to figure out how to invite the public back to performing arts spaces in a safe way. Many of us struggled through the summer because of closures due not only to the surge and related issues, but due to the smoke and fires that were happening in our area. So even those of us who were lucky enough to have an outside space saw several days of closure because of that. So we all talked and said, you know, what can we do to move forward? And there was sort of a group consensus that various of us were choosing to adopt protocols that were beyond what is required by the local county. And, uh, and some decided that they would voluntarily put protocols on themselves for some that include using a vaccine or three-day test for entry to various events. All agreed that it was no longer an option to continue to close down multiple times because there'd been exposures or because various staff kept getting sick or various audience you know, came once and now you have to shut down. And, and so we just said this seems like the best option for now for various of us who are doing larger public performance events. What are the guidelines for uh, businesses that are part of Nevada County Safe as far as uh, customers coming in? I want to give props to Celine Negrete, who did a beautiful job uh, designing it after we kind of brainstormed about it. And the idea was to keep it apolitical. We, this is not a political issue. It's an issue of public safety and health. And so the idea is to invite businesses, agencies, organizations of any kind to go onto the site. Uh, there are checkboxes and they can say minimally, we ask people to mask when they come in or we ask people to distance or use the hand sanitizer. There's various options they can say, we do this, we do this, we do this. And there's also uh, more um, extensive ones they can choose. And then there's even other if they've self-imposed some creative protocols because of the type of business or industry they are, uh, which may require a different approach, they can name what those are. And then that information, once they've inputted it easily and quickly and mostly automatically, is then um, added to the site. And they appear on the site under uh, various categories, whatever their, their agency or industry might belong under. And that's expanding all the time. And so it just says, we're we're this organization, and these are the protocols that we've adopted. And that way, anybody in the general public can go on there and see what matches their personal needs for attending somewhere. So it could be a grocery store, an insurance company, a performing arts events place, whatever kind of a place it is, and they can go, oh, this place does things that make me feel safe as a member of the public. I'm willing to go shop there. 
Why don't you let people know what the website is? The website is nevadacountysafe.info, and that's it. And they can just go there and see which public places, agencies, organizations, businesses have signed themselves up. We certainly encourage the public, if they know of some that are using various protocols, whether they're just the ones that the county asks for or whether they've adopted further safety steps, if they see that their favorite store isn't on there, let them know that it exists so they can go sign up. And another thing that I love that Celine added on there was the Friends Of. So there's a page within the website where maybe you don't own a business or an agency or something, but you just really like that we're doing this and you want to lend your your name and your support and, and you know, yay, good job, people. Uh, you can put your name under there and it just basically is saying, thanks for doing this. I, I support and appreciate the step that you've taken to make this available. And there's already quite a few, you know, local public names of people who've done just that. Thank you very much. We've been talking with Beth Moore from the Wild Eye Pub. They are a member of Nevada County Safe, the website nevadacountysafe.info. Thanks for the information. And thank you very much, Felton, for helping get it out there. Some evangelical Christians who reject the mandatory COVID vaccine are asking their churches to provide a religious exemption from vaccine mandates. What language do these exemptions contain, and are they consistent with previous church teachings? Regular commentator Chaplain Norris Burks shares a personal connection to these exemptions. Last month, I went to see my mother in Chino Hills, California. Mom is 88 and living in a senior care facility. She needs a little extra help with daily living activities, so we hired an outside agency to provide a helping companion. They sent Michelle, an active mother of two in her late 30s, And during our get-to-know-each-other conversation, Michelle mentioned how she recently began attending Calvary Chapel in Chino Hills. I asked her what she liked about the church, and she said, It's Pastor Jack. He speaks the truth and preaches the Bible. The church sounded familiar, so I did a quick Google search. Pastor Jack came up as one of the many pastors in the area promising a religious exemption for the COVID-19 vaccine. A quick phone call to the church office told me how easy it was to get the exemption. Hi, I'm wondering about how to uh, pick up an exemption form. Okay, just come into the church office. We have them signed on letterhead ready. Okay, thanks so much. So last Sunday morning, I drove to the church, waded through an unmasked crowd of at least 3,000 people to locate the church office. Standing behind a reception desk, I found volunteers handing these exemptions out to anyone asking. So I asked for one. Did you need help? Can I get a, that religious exemption? That um, is it for you? Yeah, I want to. I want to just sit over here and look at it. Okay, can I just do that? Yes, absolutely. Choosing to sign this two-page statement would mean that I believe the vaccine violates my understanding of the Bible. The statement is footnoted with a mishmash of New Testament Bible verses, somewhat hard to follow. But the exemption's main point seems to be that the vaccines are sinful because they use fetal stem cell lines from aborted babies. A well-known ally in the evangelical battle against abortion is the Catholic Church, so I reached out to Dr. Jason Eberl, Ph.D. Eberl is the professor of health care ethics and philosophy, St. Louis University, a private Jesuit research university. Eberl hears the exemption argument as more than disingenuous because the legal test of any conscientious objector is sincerity. People are okay taking some over-the-counter drug 
or they're okay eating their box of mac and cheese with all these food additives in it that may have been produced from these cells, then again, we go back to that test of sincerity, of consistency. Are they truly conscientiously objecting to using a product made with these cell lines? Or are they buying into a political narrative where they have other reasons to be distrustful of the government or of the CDC or the FDA? Still, are there any religions that can align this exemption with their theological beliefs? I pose that question to Kira Ganga Kiefer, a scholar of American religions at Boston University. Kiefer recently wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post summarizing her upcoming book with Princeton University Press about modern vaccine hesitancy. Saying that you have a religious exemption or that you have a religious objection to a particular vaccine or vaccines in general is basically saying, I just don't agree or I don't want to put this in my body. I don't necessarily think that there's much to ground those kinds of statements or beliefs in in scripture, but it's really more of a personal belief. All of this goes back to my mother and Michelle, my mom's caregiver and Calvary attendee. Four days after her visit with my mother, Michelle tested positive for COVID. She won't be coming back to my mother's room anymore. Medical misinformation bolstered by biblical misquotes is killing people. My brother died last December from buying into this false narrative. I hope my mom isn't next. The views expressed on this show are those of the speakers only and are not necessarily those of KVMR, our board, staff, volunteers, or contributors. That wraps our newscast for tonight, Wednesday, October 6th. Want to hear it again? Our newscast and features are available on our website, kvmr.org, or on our podcast. KVMR gets support from listeners like you and from businesses like Sierra View Medical Eye Incorporated, serving Nevada County's eye care needs since 1965, providing optical services, cataract and glaucoma evaluations, Also treating diseases of the eye. Sierra College Drive, Grass Valley. SVME2020.com And Rick Kalb, Wealth Management Advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983. Providing retirement planning strategies and offering review of investment portfolios, including asset allocations, tax implications, and more. Spring Street, Nevada City. Information, rickkalb.com Keep it dialed. Next on The Sages Among Us, host Lori Burkhart Frank will interview Veterans Services Officer David West II. At 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! Then at 8 p.m., it's Celtic Cadence and Music for Grown Folks at 10 p.m. Thanks for listening, and thanks for supporting your community radio station. Independent media matters now more than ever. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a great night.